You've been listening to the Start Be Invisible podcast with me, Mildred Talavi. If you're a female leader or a woman in business and you're ready to start your own journey to be invisible on LinkedIn and beyond, get in touch with me via LinkedIn or reach out to me through my website at startbeinvisible.com. Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your way out and I'll see you next week for another five episodes. on today's show is Cameron Thompson Al Areki. I hope I pronounced that right. If I didn't, she's going to correct me in just a second. Now, Cameron describes herself as being on a God-given mission to help couples beat the statistic that 54% of marriages end in divorce. Now, as a certified marriage coach for the last five years, Cameron has helped over 70 couples divorce-proof their marriage by teaching them tools and tips that aren't taught in school. There's a lot that aren't taught in school, isn't it? There? There's a lot of stuff school does not teach us, you know, but we'll talk about that later, right? So things that are not taught in school, things that are touched on or glossed over in church and rarely shown as an example in the home. So Cameron has a 93% success rate in her divorce-proof marriage coaching, and she has a fiery passion for connection within the marriage space. So when Cam isn't coaching, she's enjoying her time playing pickleball. What is pickleball? <laughs> Traveling or loving on her family. So the very first thing I want to know as I welcome Cameron Cam to the stage um, to start being visible is what on earth is pickleball? <laughs> yeah. So hello. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, pickleball is really big in the States right now, and it's starting to catch on around the world, but, um, it's like, it's a lot like tennis. It's kind of a mixture between tennis, handball, maybe like squash. If you've ever played squash, um, there's a lot of, di like, it's, it's very, and, and kind of like ping pong, I guess, but it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of movement, a lot of cardio, uh, and it's played on a court that's a lot like tennis, except for, you know, there's like this section at the back that doesn't have a, uh, a line down the middle. So it's like, it's like three rectangles, basically. So there's like two here and then one at the back. And pickleball, okay. that long rectangle is in the front. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's really fun. <laughs> So basically like an American version of tennis and squash and a whole mix of yeah. stuff put together as a new yeah. sport. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Very exciting. Well, I'm so pleased to have you on the show today and I'm really looking forward to what we're going to talk about today in terms of relationship. But of course, it's Valentine's Day today. Yeah. So, do you celebrate Valentine's Day? Um, we don't really, I mean, I, I give my boys a little, you know, a few little gifts and things like that. But my whole thing with Valentine's day is if this is the only day that you are celebrating your love, and if you are celebrating your marriage, you've, you've probably got a lot more problems than what you think you do. So. Okay. Okay. So do you feel like it's commercialized or, or just like something that, well, if this is the only day you have, it was better than nothing. Yeah, I, I do think it's very commercialized, um, but I, I do like, I don't know, we, we kind of celebrate it, I guess, just because it's fun and it's something different. And, um, you know, my boys really like it. So, you know, taking the Valentine's to school and doing all that fun stuff. So, yeah. So, we so do. you celebrate it more with your sons than with your husband. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, that's interesting. We're definitely going to get into that. My husband and I, we, we're not too bothered. Well, he used to be bothered. I'm the, I'm the non-romantic one. Um, we've been married coming up to 17 years um, this oh, year. Wow. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm the one that, like, has to work on the romance. He was like, you're just, you're just not into You always ruin Valentine's Day. So, But we kind of do it all year round type of thing. We make time, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in this conversation, how you can have valentine's all year round as opposed to one day in the whole year you know sure, sure. 
<laughs> okay, so awesome. Um, right, so I know that you you specifically are into, as you as well, I've read in the bio, you're into like kind of divorce proof and marriage, etc. But I want to know how you got into this line of work because I read that your background is you're a kindergarten teacher. We call mm -hmm. that, I think that's nursery for us over here. So okay. really little kids. Um, so how did you, first of all, what got you into that occupation? And then how did you go from being a teacher to a love coach? Sure. Um, starting in college, I changed my major 11 times. My advisor hated me. She kept like every time I would go in and I'd be like, I think I want to be a marine biologist or I think I want to be a wedding planner or something. She'd be like, no, you need you need to go think about this a little longer and then, you know, come back to me later. I never knew what I wanted to do. And so I come from a long line of teachers. So I just got my degree in teaching and I was good at it but it didn't set me on fire. It didn't, it wasn't something I was passionate about. It wasn't something that I felt like, I felt like I was making a difference with the kids, but my mental health, especially teaching around the pandemic was awful. I came, I left and went to work every day crying. I came home crying. It was horrible. And um, within that time frame, I had gotten my life coaching certification and my husband at the time was, um, he's a pilot. And so I had started coaching aviation couples and there was a couple that came to me and she said, um, can you coach our marriage? And I said, well, that's not really what I do. And she said, listen, if it's not you, we're getting a divorce. And I was like, okay, no pressure. Right. So I started coaching them and really helped their marriage. And along the way, I found, you know what? I really like this. I really like couples. I'd been divorced. I didn't want other people to go through what I had gone through being a divorcee and going through all of that pain of that process. And so I just, you know, started doing more certifications and more education around that and really shifted to becoming more of a divorce proof coach than than life coach so okay so why was teaching so terrible for your mental health and um, what was going wrong with it you know i think a lot of it was the fact that i wasn't passionate about it there was that like i always had this ink this gut feeling that was you know i know you're good at this but like this isn't your purpose this isn't what you're meant for. And I just didn't know what it was that I was meant for. And so there was that. And I think too, I don't, I don't know what it's like over in the UK, but in America, the education system is very um, one-sided in terms of political affiliation. And it's obvious. Um, it's very, you know, you have to include everyone. You have to make sure that, you know, don't ever hurt anyone's feelings. Emotional intelligence is not taught. It's very, I mean, even in kindergarten, you know, I don't know what it was like growing up for you, but for me, I remember in kindergarten or nursery school being excited to play with blocks and being excited to, you know, okay, today I'm at the, you know, the animals center or the baby doll center or, um, art, like doing a lot of art. There's none of that anymore. In kindergarten, they're not even teaching kids how to use scissors to cut mm. paper. Uh, it's like, well, you should already know that. And by like, they're just pushing the kids so hard. You have to read by the time you leave kindergarten. You have to like, it, there's no, let's teach you how to, you know, follow directions. Let's teach you how to listen. Let's teach you how to get along with your friends. Yeah. Life skills. Mm. There's, there's none of that anymore. So, and teachers are very much overworked, underpaid, very underappreciated. And so, you know, in talking about visibility, teachers are not visible. Teachers are very like they're, they're pushed and shoved into corners of you have to do this. You have to follow this. You have like, and we're not paying you anymore. And, you know, oh, you're overworked and like you're 
you don't have time for your family. You're taking all your work home. We don't really care. Do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's very, it's very frustrating. Um, the kids are very much different too. After the pandemic, it was like, I don't, I don't even know what exactly, like, I can't exactly pinpoint it, but entitlement and, mm -hmm. um, for instance, I had a mom that sent me a message that said, Hey, um, my son's birthday is on Friday. I need you to go to the store and get cupcakes and streamers and like classroom decorations and make a party for him. I'm this wow. is like no joke. And she's like, and I'll just Venmo you the money. And wow. I was like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. Do I have assistant written on my forehead? Like, that's not what I, that's not my job. You're the mm. mom, that's your job. And so, yeah, that it was, uh, it's just stuff like that, that was happening like every day that I was like, you know what, mm, we're going to go with no on this. Mm. That's crazy. That is, that yeah. is really crazy. So my husband's worked in primary school. So the next level up from kindergarten. So I've heard some of his stories and all the kind of stuff that's happening in schools and what kids are being taught or not taught. And we've got young kids ourselves. So definitely I can I can understand and relate to that whole that whole situation that you described there. But that mom, oh my God. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I was I had to sit, I, I I had to call another teacher in and be like, Am I am I like hallucinating right now? Am I reading this right? She was like yeah, no, we're not, we're not doing that. No, no. Okay. So at this time that you were in teaching, because as you've just mentioned, so you're currently in your, um, you had a, your first marriage, unfortunately didn't work out. So was this happening while you were in teaching? Were you still in your first marriage at the, at the time? No. So my first marriage, um, we were high school sweethearts. And we went through, um, we were together 12 years total. So all through college. And then we had our son and we were together for two years after that. And the marriage ended like a lot of other marriages. Um, it's mostly, it was mostly emotional neglect. It was, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, we're having the same argument every 90 days nothing like to the point where I actually wrote the argument out in a notebook and then oh, wow. I would just hand him the notebook and I would be like here and and I would like go do my own thing because nothing was ever changing nothing was ever being solved it was never um it was never that my needs mattered and it wasn't like I don't think it was that he didn't care I think it was a lot of he just didn't know how to speak my love language. He didn't know how to show me love. He didn't know. He just, he just didn't know. And so when I was trying to give him all of those tools, it basically came across as you're not good enough. You're not doing enough. Your effort is not enough. And so I think he fell into the trap that a lot of men do of that masculine feeling that, well, I mean, I'm putting food on the table. I'm providing financially. I'm protecting the family. What more do you want? And so there was no emotional connection there. Mm -hmm. So we divorced in 2012 and I was single for five years. And that's when I met my second husband. Okay. So, so, um, and, and we'll, we'll get into a bit more of that in a transition and find a new love, et cetera. So a lot of the time when we enter into marriage, what we, how we behave in marriage and what we think and how we act and what we expect, a lot of it is based on what we've seen or experienced in our own lives with our, usually our parents or those around us who, um, who have looked after us or whatever reason. Would you say that that was true for you, that kind of, First of all, how was, how was your parents' marriage, you know, in terms of your parents' relationship and what kind of influence do you feel like that had on your own marriage when it came time for you to get married? Yeah. So my parents have been married 42 years. Um, and when we were kids, me and my brothers, um, there was a lot of trauma 
So within a seven year time span, both of my, my dad lost his dad in a tragic car accident. My mom lost her mom, um, to a heart attack unexpectedly. And they had three kids. They got married. They like, they were married. And then all of these things started happening. Mm -hmm. And so the trauma of all of that, and then trying to raise three kids while also grieving the loss of two parents. And now there's extra responsibilities with my dad took on the family farm and like all of these different things. Um, there was a lot of trauma. And so there was a lot of projection on each other and onto our kids. And the thing is that back then therapy wasn't really well known. You had to, I mean, like, there weren't very many therapists. Um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, literature out on mental health and grieving and loss and all of these things. And so healing from that in the 80s and early 80s wasn't really a thing, you know, like you just kind of moved on. And so my parents' relationship grew for, for my childhood was very tumultuous. Um, my, my dad was, he just stayed in the field. He just worked like sun up to sundown. We never really saw him. He was there when he needed to be. Um, he would be there for Sunday at lunch, but otherwise, and if occasionally in the evening for dinner, but that's about it. And so that's what I saw. Then going into my marriage, what um what i saw and and my first husband and i grew up in the same um town and what he saw his mom his parents were divorced and his mom had been married multiple times at that point um never good wholesome marriages and so we both brought very unhealthy habits into the marriage we both like the arguing was very similar to what my parents had when I was growing up. Um, are you familiar with attachment styles? Yes, but for the benefit of our audience, yeah, if you can explain that, that would be sure. helpful. So there's four types of attachment styles. There's anxious, which so basically it was the studies started being done in the 1980s. And what they found was they put little kids in a room and if, and then the mom would leave. And if the, the child cried a lot and just couldn't settle down, that was anxious attachment. They found out that this child had an anxious attachment. If the child was clearly in distress, but not really crying, but in other ways they showed this distress, that was avoidant attachment. Okay. Um, and then secure attachment, which is what we're all striving for, was the child cried, but then settled down as soon as the mom came back because they knew, okay, my mom's coming back, right? The anxious attachment was still anxious even after the mom came back, okay? Disorganized was developed a little bit later, and it's, um, it's usually for a child that has been abused or neglected. Um, there's growing up with a narcissistic parent, something like that. And so it's got a lot of combination between avoidant and anxious attachment, um, symptoms. So the idea is that we're all secure. We know our partner loves us. Even if they're having a bad day, we're secure in the relationship and how it's going that like, we understand that there's going to be ebbs and flows. It's not always going to be, you know, really, really high or really, really low. Um, so we understand all of that and we have that security. So for typically 75% of men who have an insecure attachment are avoidant and, and typically 75% of women that have an insecure attachment are anxious. Okay. So what happens is this push and pull, right? So it's that the same thing that happened in my marriage where I, I would pursue him. And when an anxious attacher gets upset, they blame, they shame, they criticize, they question all of these things. So what ends up happening is it looks like me going, saying, I need connection. I need connection. I need connection. And him going, whoa, like this is too much for me. I can't mm -hmm. handle 
your emotions because I can't handle my emotions. Um, you know, nothing I do is ever good enough for you, like that kind of thing. And so that's why you end up having that same argument over and over and over. It's called the loop of doom. And mm-hmm. so that's what would happen is that I would blame, shame, criticize, question, and then he would do what avoidance do, and they, he would avoid. He would numb out on his phone, or he would go hunting or fishing or something like that, which would make me feel even more lonely. And, you know, we just in a constant cycle. That's, uh, that's what I saw in my parents' marriage as well. I just didn't know. I couldn't name it until I became a coach. Okay. So, so that was so a very long way answer, but that's what it is. <laughs> no, no, it was a very thorough answer. Thank you for that. So your parents kind of stuck at it um, for 42 years, but they you... Did. You and your first husband, you know, came to a point where it's like, this is not going to work. How did you know what that point was? And how did you feel at the time? Sure. All of that? So I went into the marriage kind of like my parents did with the same mindset of like marriage is forever and you stick it out no matter what. And you, um, you know, you make it work and you learn and you grow. And my husband didn't have the same mindset that like you learn and you grow. And so for four years, I continuously asked, will you go to marriage counseling with me? Nope. Okay. Well, my appointment with the therapist is Thursday at whatever time. It was always on a Thursday. I asked him for four years. He went one time with me and he walked out 10 minutes into it. So that was kind of the first straw on the camel's back, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then in February of 2012, my best friend um, had an ulcer in her duodenum that they didn't know about because she was pregnant. She was eight months pregnant and that ulcer ruptured and she bled out and she died. And when I asked my husband, will you go to the funeral with me? He said, no, I need to stay here and work. And so the narrative in my head was, okay, Your job is more important than me and my emotional needs. And then there were some other things that happened. Um, He told me he wanted to uh, pay the bills, but then our electricity would be shut off. And then I found bank accounts that didn't like we'd never banked at these banks before. And so and they didn't have my name on them. And he would say things like, well, I was just putting that money away for, you know, an emergency. So there was a lot of lying and broken trust. And finally, in June of 2012, I don't even know that it was a big thing. And and this is what I see a lot in couples as well, is that there have been so many bricks of resentment that were built over time with lying, broken trust, you know, emotional needs not being met, et cetera, et cetera, that the wall, like whatever it was, was very, very, very small. I don't even remember what the straw that broke the camel's back was. It wasn't Mm -hmm. an event, but I remember whenever it happened, I called my mom and I was crying and I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, I, I, I need out. And she said, okay, well, if you really feel that way, I understand why you feel that way. And, you know, we'll help you however we need to. And so that was that next day I went down and I filed divorce papers. And it's interesting now because we've talked about this, him and I, since. And I said, what was the point where you knew our marriage was over? And he said, when you handed me the divorce papers. Hmm. Wow. Like for 12 years leading up to that, Hmm. you didn't, there was no like, oh, I this is kind of a big deal. Like she's saying the same things over and over and over. And he's like, I never thought you'd leave. And that is so many, I get DMS constantly saying, I didn't think my wife would leave. I didn't think she'd leave. And now she's gone. And she's Mm -hmm. saying that, you know, she's completely hardened her heart to me. She's emotionally cut off and I I don't know how to get her back. Mm -hmm. Is, is that, Taking someone for granted, or is it just that whole what you described where the emotional intelligence is just not there or not where it should be to recognize that actually this is a big problem and if we don't fix this, this is going to end in divorce? Yeah, I think it's a a little bit of both. 
I think it's, you know, we, we get complacent, you know, we can get complacent in our jobs if we've been there too long. Um, you know, we get complacent in our marriages, we get complacent with our parenting. I think complacency is a really big thing in, in all of that. And so it's more so just a, um, and it's also selfishness, you know, it's the idea that like, well, I thought we were fine. And so, you know, you automatically think your partner's doing okay too. It's also the emotional intelligence piece of on both ends of, you know, a lot of people just stuff their feelings. And so they don't actually communicate, Hey, I need more connection. I need, you know, I need you to, to show me that you care when I'm winning an Academy Award here and I'm crying, like I need you to pay attention to that and actually be engaged. So it's, it's a lot of different facets, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you, you two eventually end up splitting. You have a, your son is two at the time. When this happened. Yeah. Okay. So you have a two year old. And as you said, you were single for five years. Did you, did you ever think that you would get remarried again? I didn't know. There was a lot of time, you know, as an, so in, in the, um, insecure attachments that you develop, the core, the core fear is abandonment and it's, it's being alone. And so, um, I was afraid of being alone. I was afraid that I would never get married again, but I also wasn't closed off to that idea. Um, it did take me about a year and a half to two years to start dating again. And mm. then it was very, I was very careful with who I, I didn't ever let any of them into my son's life until I knew that it was going to be, you know, it was getting serious. Um, but yeah, I, I think. I think part of me always knew that I would get married again, but I just didn't know like for sure. Mm -hmm. So, so you basically had five Valentine's day alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How was that? Having gone from being in a relationship, but you know, and this time everyone's all soppy over each other. You had somebody and now it's like year after year. Kind of what were some of the emotions that were going through in your mind and your heart during this, season in particular? Well, you know what, it, what's interesting about that is when you're, when you're with an emotionally neglectful person, they don't care about Valentine's day. And so like the, the, the idea that it's big to you, it's not big to them. And so, because it's like, it's an emotion, right? Love is a feeling like, all right, it's just another day. So when you need them to be excited about the holiday and they're not, it's almost like I, I, it was no different, but when you're looking on, on the, the flip side to that, when you're single and you're looking at all these other people and you're like, man, I really want what they have. I love being married. I love being a wife. Why, why do they get love? And I don't, why, why do they you know, like it's almost, it's kind of a feeling of disgust and loneliness and anger and sadness. Like it's a lot of, there's a lot of negative feelings that go with Valentine's Day when you're, when you're in that position and you're still healing. Once you heal and once you've kind of moved through all the stages of grief and stuff, it just becomes a day about, about self-love or a day about your kids. Mm -hmm. And how did you heal? What were some of the tools, resources, things that helped you get through that period and get to the point where you could start dating again and exploring new possibilities? Yeah. So I spent a lot of time in therapy. I spent a lot of time reading self-help books on mindset, on, I think, one of the biggest things was I understood that I didn't like going through and saying, okay, but why did I choose this guy? Why did I, why did I even start this relationship in the first place? And then getting to the root of that so that I didn't make the same mistake again. 
And the root was I didn't have self-love. I truly did not believe that I could get any better when I started dating him. And so that's why I chose him because I settled because he liked me. And so it was like, well, I mean, he likes me, so I'm never going to get any better than that. I've got to, I've got to just jump in. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're reading all these books, you're doing the self-help and something starts to shift over time. You're going to therapy. And then at one point you're like, okay, I'm ready to go out in the dating scene again, you know? So I, I, it's been, as I said, I've been married for a very long time. My husband, my childhood sweetheart. So dating scene is like, I'm way outdated, <laughs> you know, in terms of what works and what doesn't. So how did you go about returning to the dating scene? And I guess this is probably a bit where the visibility piece comes into it, right? Because sure. if you're single and you're looking to get married, you can't be hiding that at home. You've got to be visible. True. So, Absolutely yeah, true. So how, did you, how did you approach that process? So that was when um, this was probably 12 years ago, 13 years ago. So that was when like the online dating had first started coming out and it didn't quite have as bad of a rap as what it does now. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I had a friend that was like, you should get on match.com. And I was like, I am not doing that. And she kind of said the same thing you did. She was like, you, you know, you're like, your husband isn't going to come knock on your door and be like, hey, I'm your husband. Let's get married. Like, you're going to have to get out there. And I was like, I don't I don't know about this. So I, I said, you know what? I'll get on match for one month. And if it's just a complete and utter chaos and I don't like and I hate it, I'm, I'm getting off. And she was like, OK, so I did. I met a lot of weirdos lot of weirdos. And I was like, and I'm out. And so I spent about two more years just, you know, I reached out to old friends that I knew were single, kind of, you know, just to see if there was some, you know, rekindling there. Um, and then eventually, I moved into a new apartment. And the apartment complex that I was in, there were a bunch of guys that I, that lived there that I met and I dated one of them. And then I actually met, um, a bunch of other, like they would always have friends over. And so that's how I met my second husband was through a bunch of their friends. Okay. We, we want the details. We'll spill the tea. We want everything, right? So, so you, you dated one of your, your future husband's friends first. Yeah. And then somehow in that process, you got introduced to your husband. Is that, yeah. is that right? Yeah. Okay. So what was that? Like, how did you, when you first met him, you know, they say the whole love at first sight kind of stuff. Was there any of that? Was there an instant connection or did that develop over time? So that's really interesting. So um, my husband, my ex-husband is because we're divorced now. That's why I'm so good at what I do. Um, so my ex-husband actually, when we first met on the very first night that we met, he tried to kiss me. Like he like came out and I was like, Whoa, like, I don't know who you think you are, but like, no. And my first impression was you are the biggest jerk I have ever met in my life. I want nothing to do with you. He asked me for my number and I was like, absolutely not, not, you are not getting my number. And he actually stole my number out of a, out of one of our friend's phones while our friend was in the shower. And so he started texting me every day then being like, hey, I really want to take you out. Please, can I take you out? And I was so mean to him, Mildred. I was so mean. I would say things like, oh, I'm organizing my Tupperware tonight, like my dishes and my cabinets. And he'd be like, I don't know what Tupperware is. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I used it. Like I was so mean and because I did think he was a jerk. And so finally, um, after a couple of weeks, I finally agreed to go out with him on one. I'm like, if I go out with you, will you leave me alone? And he's like, yeah. So I went out. He planned this amazing date. And we ended up walking around this park for like three hours talking about everything, music, interests, goals, 
life experiences, like all these different things. And the more that we talked, the more that connection grew. And the more that I was like, you know what, maybe you're not the jerk that I thought you were. And at the Mm -hmm. end of the night, when he kissed me, it was like I was hit by electricity. It was, Mm -hmm. it was amazing. And so, um, and then throughout our marriage, I still felt that I still had that Mm -hmm. electricity. So, so yeah, that connection was really important, but it, it, it did grow. It wasn't like, I think so this was, was this with your first husband you took him out? This is, this was with my second husband. Oh, with your current husband. Okay. So you thought he was a jerk in, initially. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh okay. Okay. <laughs> right. I got, yeah. I got, I was mistaken. I was thinking, she took my first husband. Okay. So this is the current one. He was a jerk. Yeah. He wasn't really a jerk. And he was a good guy underneath the jerkness. Okay. <laughs> well, so that's what's interesting. So where you got confused is because I mm-hmm. said that we're divorced. Because my mm-hmm. second husband and I are divorced now too. We just got oh, divorced. Okay. Um, okay. Because for that connection, and this is where the emotional intelligence comes in again too. He grew up in the mm-hmm. Middle East where emotional intelligence is not a priority in their schools either. And so... Mm-hmm. He became a pilot. And what they say is that a woman's loyalty is tested when her man has nothing. And for the first four years of our marriage, we had nothing. I mean, we did not have two pennies to rub together. Mm -hmm. And a man's loyalty is tested when he gets everything. And so my husband became a commercial pilot and then ended up upgrading and getting his dream job. And when he got, like, when he first became a commercial pilot, his whole thing was he had a lot of the same habits as my first husband in terms of the lying and the breaking trust. But he also started sleeping with all the flight attendants that he was on trips with. And so he cheated Mm -hmm. on me for five years and I didn't know about it. And so he was basically living a double life. And so, yeah, we ended up just, we, we just got divorced, um, like within the last few months. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so that was a recent one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with, with two divorces under your belt, mm-hmm. do you still believe in marriage? Absolutely. I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't. Mm-hmm. So how do you, cause you specialize in divorce proof, um, marriage coaching. So how do you go about doing that with your clients um, in terms of helping them to achieve that status that you you haven't been able to as yet? Yeah. So this is, this is where it gets sticky. You know, you, you can, you can't control your spouse, right? So I'm reading all the books. I'm applying what I'm, what I'm teaching my clients to apply you know, all of these things. But if you don't have a partner who's willing to do that also, your marriage isn't going to work. And so, you know, I can't be here at home, you know, practicing fight styles and making sure that, you know, we're, you know, I'm, I'm being a good wife and all the things while my husband is out cheating on me because of his own things that he hasn't worked through from his childhood and me saying, Hey, let's get counseling. Okay, great. So we'd go to two or three counseling sessions and then he'd quit because it gets hard after that. You know, nobody wants to face their truth. And so, you know, it's all of these things that, you know, and this is what, this is why I believe in marriage. And this is why I believe in love. Honestly, if I hadn't helped so many couples achieve what my goal is, I don't think I would believe in marriage at this point. I don't think I would believe in love. I don't believe, I don't think, I think I would be the cat lady that like stays at home and, you know, wallows in depression. But I know it's possible because of what I've seen and what I've helped others achieve. And the reason that they achieve it is because both, both people in that marriage are working to make it work. They want to make it work. They're committed. And in order to have a healthy marriage, you have to have three things. You have to have commitment first. You have to have trust second. And you have to have friendship for the third. Well, if you're not committed to the relationship, you're not going to, you're not going to have, you know, a good marriage. I was committed, but you have to have both people committed. 
And then you can't have trust if they're cheating or if they're lying. So it's a really, um, it takes both people. Mm. It definitely takes takes two to make a, a, a marriage work. And it takes, it's, um, and, and there are peaks, you know, there's highs and lows and there's like, it's almost like that you grow together, you grow apart when these things yeah. happen. So there's loads of stuff that, you know, that can happen within a marriage that can pull you together or pull you apart kind of thing. So there's lots involved, but um, just like kind of going back to your, to your bio, you talked about this, you know, what you're doing now. So the divorce proof coaching being like a God given mission for you. Yeah. Where does that faith element come in for you? Oh man, my faith is everything. You know how, I, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying that you're going to suffer for your calling. Have you ever mm. heard of that? I have, so, I have. Yeah. So if you're a I'm not sure it's in the Bible though, not written like that. <laughs> it's not really it's not really written like that, mm-hmm. but you'll hear a lot of people that are like, Oh, I you know, I wanted to be um, a firefighter, but I was afraid of fire, and so I had to overcome that. And or I you know, I was a s I'm a self-image coach because I um, you know, I struggled a lot with self-image as a kid or something like that. For me. Um, and I'm already finding this out is that I've had clients that signed on in the last two months that, you know, we get into their coaching and then it, we find out, oh, well, you know, I'm here because my husband's cheated on me, but we want to make our marriage work. I can't relate to that if I've never been through it. I can't relate to what divorce feels like if I've never been through it. And so my faith element, you know, in the Bible where it talks about um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown in the fiery furnace. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they came out and the only thing that was burnt on them was like the ropes and things that, that bound them together. I think of myself a lot like them, that God is with me in the fire and he is refining me to be a better coach, to be a better mom, to be a better person so that I can look at my fight styles so that I can look at my truth and honor my truth and like accept that as hard as it may be and become a better, the better marriage coach that I'm teaching other people to be as well. Mm. Have you, have you had a client kind of, um, so the clients that reach out to you, they they not they're okay with the fact that you've been through, um, you know, two divorces. Do you feel like that helps them trust you more or less, or does it not make a difference? Any what, what are your what's been your experience around that? Yeah. So all last year, when we were when when uh, my husband and I were going, my ex husband and I were going through all of this, um. I actually told my clients like, Hey, this is, I'm, I am one of my biggest core values is authenticity. And like, I don't have anything to hide. You know, I think that me telling my story and, you know, there's a reason for it. And if that reason is that it helps you great. And so in talking to my clients, they told me that it actually has helped them because I can, I can speak to both sides of the coin, trying to make your marriage work and doing the work and, and, you know, bettering yourself and all of that. And then also what divorce feels like. And so now today, instead of speaking to it 15 years ago, um, the other thing is that it also speaks to my character and I didn't actually you know, I was so terrified to tell my clients that I was getting a divorce and I never considered this point of view. And it was actually a client that told me this. And she said, Cameron, she said, we actually, you know, I told them on their, in their session at the end of their session one night. And about three days later, she sent me a message and said, my husband and I've talked about it. And we actually think this speaks more highly of you because it speaks to the character that you have that even while you're going through the deepest, darkest pain that you can be going through, because as hard as my first marriage was, 
I didn't want the second marriage, even though my husband had cheated on me, even all of these things, he was the one that filed and he was the one that quit on our marriage. And I kept saying all last year, if we would just get help, if we would just work on connection, if you could just, for the love of God, stop lying and stop cheating, this would be fine. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to work on it. And my client said, we think this actually is an, is a testament to your faith and your character because you do still believe in marriage and because, you know, you are helping us even though you're going through what you're going through. And she's like, we've, we've seen so much progress in our marriage. We wouldn't have had that without you. So obviously, you know what you're talking about. You just haven't found somebody who is willing to do it with you. So I love that. I, I do love your transparency as does um, Grace um, in, the, in the comments. Um, I'm going to, yeah, so, so that's really interesting. So as you're going through this and it is like, it's like the hardest time in your life, I can imagine, did you at any point, I'm going to kind of play devil devil's advocate here. Did sure. you at any point feel like a fraud in terms of, because we get all these condemning things thrown at us, especially when we're going through stuff, you know, and it's like yeah. all the stuff. So did you feel like here I am telling people about how to build a good marriage and I can't even do it myself? Did you ever feel? Oh, any yeah. Of I, oh yeah. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't think you can have a good relationship with God until you can yell at God. And you know what I mean? And I, there were so many nights where I was on my bathroom floor crying, like snot, tears, yelling at God. Why would you give me this calling if this is how it was going to end? If, if my marriage wasn't going to, like, why would you do this? And I don't have an answer for that yet, but... I do believe that, yeah, like I absolutely, that imposter syndrome of how can I sit here and tell people what a good marriage is if I'm, if, if I don't have that. And I think the only thing, I don't have a godly answer, a God given answer yet, but my only answer to that is that, that we are a product of our exposure, our experience and our education. And so that's where I've, I've really leaned on my education. I know what a healthy marriage is. I know what it looks like because I've seen over 70 other couples develop that. And two things can be true at the same time. I can't control my husband. So if my husband doesn't want to create that with me, I can't, I can't, I can't force him to do that. And that's not love. God gives us free will because if he didn't, then it would be control. And that's like, you don't want to be controlled in a relationship. So he gives us free will to make our own choices. And he gives us a guideline being the Bible of how to live. And then from there, it's on us. So, and he'll help, I mean, like a parent, he'll help us along the way when we screw up, just like he's, you know, helped me through this because I chose the wrong person twice. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was a very big struggle that I wrestled with a lot over the last year. And, and the conclusion that I came to is, you know what, this is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to do. I love it. I'm passionate about it. I'm good at it. And my redemption story will come someday, maybe in a different form. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think part of the problem, um, problems that we, I would say today's generation, I, I, I count myself as old folk, even <laughs> I look young, um, but um is like we face in marriages because there's a lot of visibility around weddings, but not so much around marriage. So like if you go to Instagram, for example, 
everyone's having the big Instagram weddings and the dresses and the dance and the 50 groomsmen and they're spending thousands and thousands, you know. But then it's like, what about the marriage? How are you preparing for the marriage? You know, so what are your thoughts around that? So two things on that. I think that in terms of visibility, the things that are killing marriages today are twofold. The first thing that you said was the wedding. Like even as kids, like think about as, as I heard this yesterday and I was like, whoa. So as girls, when we're little, like we're a baby and they're handing us a baby and being like, here, like you're training for, for what your role in the marriage starts now. Right. But boys are playing with like fire trucks and GI Joes and, you know, army men and like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. And they're not playing like, oh, hold up, soldier. My wife just showed up and I got to take care of this. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like pause the war. You know what I mean? Like, that's not how they're playing. But we are playing with like Barbie and Ken. So we're, you know what I mean? So like every toy that we're given is, and then we're given our own like um, toy vacuum cleaner or our own toy mop or whatever. Like, we are being trained from children. So, and the thing is that it's like, that's our training, but we're supposed to just accept that as our training, even though we're not being told, okay, so after your wedding, this is what it's, you know, what's supposed to take place. So in terms of visibility, yeah, because like, think about this. When you watch the Kardashians, for example, all of the emphasis is on the wedding. It's not on, hey, we're having problems and we're going to therapy. You know, like none of that. The second thing that we have that has really become a problem is the social media. Social media has killed marriages in the last 15 years. And the reason is that we have that visibility of anything we want. You can you can do a search on your for you page or a search in in the app and find half naked women um half naked men you can find you know you've got people in your dms if you're a good looking person you've got people in your dms all the time being like hey i know you're married but are you happy because you could be with me there's that mentality that the grass is greener on the other side and it's not Because what happens is we get married and our spouse, nobody's perfect, right? But again, we don't want to face our own truth. So our spouse only has 80% of what we're looking for. So we go to social media. We're looking to fulfill that other 20%. Well, then we find that 20%. So we leave our spouse thinking, well, this person has the 20%. They've got to be the whole package, right? Nope. They only have that 20%. So now you've left the 80%. And you only have the 20, but you're not happy with the 20. So now you're going to go back out and look for the 80. Like we're never content. We're never content with what God has given us. And it comes from, we're not grateful. We're always looking for something bigger, better, nicer, more expensive, faster. Mm -hmm. The grass is greener on the other side and it's not. Mm Mm-hmm. I saw someone put on social media, I don't know, maybe LinkedIn or Instagram, I don't know. The grass is greener wherever you mow it. Wherever you mow it. Okay, so we gotta mow that grass, you know. We've got to mow that grass. So no, thank you for that. Um interesting definitely to hear your thoughts and your experience um in this area. And and as we're kind of um rounding down, so so you've gone once, you've gone twice, and you stay. Are you still hopeful for another round at this? And if so, how are you preparing? It's probably too early because this has only been a few months. Since it's not. Month. It's yeah. not because I've seen this coming for about a year. So okay. I, I, you know, like I fought real hard last year, and then and then the divorce was actually just final in the last couple of months. So here's the trick: is that my first marriage. I didn't, I didn't love myself. I didn't have self-respect. Okay. My second marriage, I chose someone 
but didn't have the education that I have now, right? So that attachment style, that anxious attachment style was still there. Um, And I think I chose based on a few things that I wanted, but didn't really look at the biggest picture. And also we didn't talk about what would happen once he got his dream job and what that looks like. And I didn't, I think I ignored some of the red flags of how he acted with integrity because he, excuse me. So there was, there were a few times that he lied to me, even when we were dating and I let it go. So now I know what I did wrong. I know what I did wrong in the choices that I made. I know what I need to fix for myself. I know what I need to work on and I'm doing that. I've, I've got a coach of my own. I'm in therapy. I'm in a divorce care group, um, you know, still out and about and, you know, building community, still visible, but a lot more aware this time. There's, there's a lot more wisdom, if you, if you will. Mm. And, and the kind of wisdom that only comes from experience as well is yeah. quite precious um, wisdom sure. to have. So, yeah. okay, that is awesome. That is awesome. Well, we're going to be rooting for you, praying for you, you know, all of that kind of stuff in your recovery and also in the, in the next chapter of your life because it's not over yet. Your life is not over. As you said, you feel like you're on a mission and sometimes, yeah, you do go through the fire to get to that other side of the mission and do it effectively. So I'm praying that all of that will go well for you. So before we let you go, and thank you so much for your transparency and your openness in this conversation. What, where can we learn more about you and what you do? And if anyone wants to plug into your work, what's, what, what are you working on now that they can plug into? Sure. Um, I'm still taking couples who want to better their marriages Um, I, like I said in the beginning, I am certified as a life coach as well. And so, you know, people who are struggling with self-worth or self-respect or learning boundaries, even if it's not romantically, even if it's, you know, with parents or kids or, or what have you, I do take life um, coaching as well. You can find me most of the time on Instagram and that's at divorce.proof.marriage. And, um, yeah, I'm also uh, starting to get more, um, visibility on TikTok, and I'll be starting a YouTube channel, um, within the next couple of months. And that those are both at, at divorceproofmarriage.com or, uh, at divorceproofmarriage as the handle. So. Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, you didn't, you didn't mention LinkedIn. Okay. So here's a question I have for you. So for <laughs> LinkedIn, do people, do people want, like, I, I think of LinkedIn as like a business site, right? But do people mm-hmm. want marriage advice on LinkedIn? Like, is that? Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. One, one of the mistakes that people make about LinkedIn is, um, yes, LinkedIn is a professional platform, but guess what? Professional people are still people. They still That's have true. relationships. They still have marriages. They still have good times. They still have bad times. They have all of that kind of stuff. So in fact, one of my former clients is a, um, she's a relationship coach for business and marriage. And she does really well on um, LinkedIn. Her her thing is to spark joy into people's relationships. And she does really- Well, I'll start posting there then too. So you can find me on LinkedIn. (laughs) Definitely. We will find you on LinkedIn. We'll definitely tag you there and all these other places in the show notes. But um, Cam, it has been awesome having this conversation with you. So- Thank you for your time. Thank you for your openness. And thank you for helping us discuss this topic on Valentine's Day. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Are you ready to start being visible? Well, you have come to the right place. Welcome to the Start Being Visible podcast. My name is Mildred Talabi. I've spent most of my working life mastering the art of personal branding in my career as a former journalist and communications professional and in my business, which has taken on various forms over the years. I now spend my time championing and coaching women to increase their influence, income and impact through being visible on platforms like LinkedIn and beyond. 
In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you my insights into the journey to be invisible, as well as bringing you amazing, candid conversations with female leaders who have chosen to step out of the shadows and into the limelight in their work lives. Now, I want you to hit the subscribe button and get ready to start your own journey to be invisible with today's episode.